Homily 6 and 7 of 50 Spiritual Homilies of St. Macarios the Egyptian Translated by A. J. Mason This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Homily 6 Those who desire to please God ought to offer their prayers in peace and quietness, in gentleness and wisdom, and not to give scandal to others by the use of loud outcries. The homily also contains two questions, whether the thrones and crowns are actual created things, and concerning the twelve thrones of Israel. Those who draw near to the Lord ought to make their prayers in quietness and peace and great composure, and to fix their minds upon the Lord, not with unseemly and confused outcries, but with effort of the heart and vigilant thoughts. If someone suffering from a malady needs to be cauterized, or to undergo a surgical operation, one man will bear the pain of it with courage and patience, self-possessed, and making no noise or disturbance, while others undergoing the same infliction give way under the fire or the knife to unseemly outcries, and yet the pain of the man who calls out is exactly the same as that of the man who does not, of him who makes a disturbance as of him who makes none. So are there some who under affliction and travail of the soul submit to it with dignity and make no disturbance, controlling themselves by mental reflection while others under the same affliction lose their power of endurance, and make their prayers with disorderly noise, so as to give offence to those who hear them. There are others again who are under no real concern, but for ostentation or singularity make use of undisciplined outcries, as if by these they could please God. A servant of God ought not thus to lose self-control, but to continue in all meekness and wisdom, as the prophet said, Unto whom shall I look but unto him that is meek and quiet, and that trembleth at my words? And in the cases of Moses and Elias we find that in the appearances vouchsafed to them, although there was a great ministry of trumpets and powers before the majesty of the Lord, yet the presence of the Lord was distinguished amongst and from them all, and was manifested in peace and quietness and repose. Lo, it says, a humble still small voice, and the Lord was in it. This shows that the Lord's rest is in peace and composure. Whatever foundation a man lays, however he starts, he will continue in the same line to the last. If he begins praying with a loud voice and noisy behavior, he maintains to the last the same usage. Since the Lord is a lover of men, it happens that he gives succor even to such an one. So they, through the encouragement of grace, use the same ways to the last. Nevertheless, we see that this is the part of the uninstructed, because they give offense to others and at the same time are themselves in disorder at their prayers. The true foundation of prayer is this, to concentrate attention and to pray in great quietness and peace, so as to give no offense to those outside. 
such a man if he receives the grace of god upon his prayer and continues to the last in his quietness will edify other people more for god is not the god of confusion but of peace those who pray noisily are like the man who shouts to keep the rowers in time they cannot pray everywhere either in churches or in villages perhaps only in the deserts can they do it as they like but those who pray quietly edify everybody everywhere a man's whole labor should be employed upon his thoughts he must cut away the bush of evil thoughts which besets him and urge himself to god and not let his thoughts carry him where they like but collect them when they wander in any direction distinguishing natural thoughts from bad ones being under sin the soul comes near to being like a great wood upon a hill or the reeds in the river or thickets of thorns and bushes those who wish to pass through the place have to stretch out their hands and with force and laborious efforts to shove aside the bushes that beset them so do the thoughts that come from the adverse power beset the soul like bushes much diligence and application of mind therefore is required in order to distinguish the thoughts which are not our own but suggested by the adverse power one man trusting to his own abilities thinks to fell the hills round him by himself another governing his mind with composure and discernment without great trouble makes more of his work than the other thus there are some who at prayer make use of unseemly outcries as if they relied upon their muscular strength not knowing how their thoughts deceive them and fancying that they can achieve a perfect success by their own power others there are who pay attention to their thoughts and exercise all their labour within these by their understanding and discernment are enabled to reach success and to shake off the insurrection of the thoughts and to walk after the will of the lord and we find in the apostle that he calls the person who edifies others greater than he who does not he says he that speaketh with tongues edifieth himself but he that prophesieth edifieth the church greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues every one therefore will choose to edify others and thus will have the kingdom of heaven vouchsafed to him question some people tell us that the thrones and crowns are actual creatures not spiritual things how ought we to understand them answer the throne of the godhead is our mind and again the throne of our mind is the Godhead and the Spirit. In like manner Satan also, and the powers and rulers of darkness have, ever since the transgression of the commandment, seated themselves in the heart and mind and body of Adam as their own throne. That was why the Lord came and took his body of the Virgin. For if he had willed to come down in his uncovered Godhead, who would have been able to bear it? So he spoke to men through the instrument of the body. By this means he put down the spirits of wickedness, which had their seat in the body. From these thrones of mind and thought, wherein they dwelt, 
and the Lord cleansed the conscience, and made himself a throne of the mind, the thoughts, and the body. Question. What, then, is the meaning of the text, Ye shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel? Answer. We find that this came to pass upon earth when the Lord had been taken up into heaven. For he sent the Comforter's Spirit upon the twelve apostles, and that holy power which came and tabernacled and seated itself in the throne of their minds. When the bystanders said, These men are full of new wine, Peter began at once to judge them, saying concerning Jesus, A man mighty in words and signs ye crucified, hanging him on a tree. And behold, he there did wondrous things, rending the graves of stone and raising the dead. For it is written, In the last days I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Many therefore came to repentance under Peter's instruction, so that a new world, elect of God, came into being. Do you see how the beginning of judgment appeared? A new world appeared there. Authority was given them here to sit and judge even in this world. Not but that they are to sit and give judgment hereafter, at the advent of the Lord, at the resurrection of the dead. But it came to pass here also, when the Holy Ghost seated himself on the thrones of their minds. The diadems which Christians receive in that age are not creatures. Those who say so say amiss. The Spirit uses them as a suggestive figure. What does the Apostle Paul say concerning the heavenly Jerusalem? This is the mother of us all, in whose confession we agree. As for the garment which Christians wear, it is evidently the Spirit himself that clothes them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, for ever. Amen. Homily 7 Concerning the loving-kindness of Christ towards men The homily also contains certain questions and answers. Imagine a man to go into a royal palace, and to see the portraits and works of art there, treasures kept in one place, other things in another. Imagine him to sit down to table with the king, and to have delicious meats and drinks set before him, and to be in every way refreshed with the contemplation of such beautiful things, and after that to be hurried off and found carried away to noisome places. Or imagine a maiden fairer, wiser, and wealthier than all others, to take for her husband a poor, lowly, ugly man, clothed in tatters, to take the filthy garments from him, and clothe him with the robes of a king, and set a diadem on his head, and enter into union with him. There comes a moment when that poor man begins to be frightened, and to say, Am I, who am wretched and poor and mean and lowly, to have such a wife given to me? This is what God has done to poor wretched man. He has given him to taste of another world, of other delicious food. 
he has shown him glories and royal beauties unspeakable and heavenly and so the man comparing those spiritual things with the things of this world casts all away and whether king or princes or wise men meet his eye he turns his gaze to the heavenly treasure for since god is love man has received the heavenly and divine fire of christ and is at rest and rejoices and is there fast bound question is satan in the same place as god either in the air or in men answer the sun yonder is but a creature when it shines upon miry places what harm does it take how much more can the divine being be in the same place as Satan without being sullied or polluted? Evil, however, is darkened and blinded, and cannot see the purity and fineness of God. If anyone says that Satan has his own proper place, and God his, he makes God to be circumscribed with reference to the place where the wicked one dwells. How, then, can we say that the good is not circumscribed or comprehended, and that all things are contained within it, and yet that the good is not polluted by the evil? What, then? Because sky and sun and mountains are in God, and have their consistency through Him, are they then God? Created things are established in their own order, and the Creator, who is present with them all, is God. Question. When sin is transformed into an angel of light, and comes to look like grace, how is a man to detect the wiles of the devil, and how shall he welcome and discern the things of grace? Answer. The things of grace are attended by joy, peace, love, and truth. Truth itself compels man to seek truth, but the forms of sin are disordered and have nothing of love or joy towards God. Endive looks like lettuce, but one is sweet and the other, for all its likeness, is bitter. Even in the realm of grace itself there is what looks like truth, and there is the substance of truth itself. The ray of the sun is one thing, and the orb itself is another, and the ray does not give shine in the same sense in which the light stored up in the orb does. A lamp is lighted in the house. The ray of it which beams all round is one thing, and the light in the lamp itself is another, brighter and clearer. In like manner there are things of grace, which when a man sees them at a distance, as spectacles to be looked at, give him joy even as spectacles. But he becomes another man when the power of God enters into him, and occupies his heart and his members, and makes his mind captive to the love of God. When they seized Peter and cast him into prison, an angel of the Lord came, when he was shut in, and broke his chains, and brought him out, and he, like one in a trance, thought he saw a vision. Question. And how comes it that people who are under the influence of grace ever fall? Answer. Even pure intelligences in their own nature are liable to slip and fall. A man begins to be lifted up 
to censure, to say, Thou art a sinner, while he considers himself righteous. Do you not know what St. Paul says? There was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Even a pure nature is liable to be exalted above measure. Question. Can a man, by means of light, see his own soul? There are some people who do away with revelation, and affirm that it is knowledge and sense which give vision. Answer. Sense differs from vision, and vision from enlightenment. And the man who has enlightenment is greater than the man who has only sense. His mind is enlightened, inasmuch as he has received a greater portion than the man who has but sense, as is shown by his seeing within himself visions which he cannot doubt. But revelation is a further thing. Great things, and mysteries of God, are the subjects of revelation to the soul. Question. Does one by revelation and the divine light see the soul? Answer. As these eyes of ours see the sun, so those who are enlightened see the image of the soul. But not many Christians have this sight. Question. Has the soul any form? Answer. It has an image or form in the same way as an angel has. As the angels have an image or form, and as the outward man has his image, so the inner man has an image like an angel's, and a form like that of the outward man. Question. Is the mind one thing and the soul another? Answer. As the members of the body, being many, are called one man, so the soul has many members, mind, conscience, will, thoughts accusing and excusing, but all these are dependent upon one factor. They are members of the soul, and the soul is one, the inward man. But as the outward eyes discover at a distance the thorns, precipices, and pitfalls, and give warning beforehand, so the mind, when it is at all alert, discovers beforehand the crafts and devices of the adverse power, and secures the soul in advance. It is, in fact, the eye of the soul. Let us ascribe glory to the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, for ever and ever. Amen. End of Homily 7